looking in Philippians chapter 3, specifically uh, verses 12 through 21, and we'll be talking about reaching forward to what is ahead, or reaching forward to God's goal. And the Apostle Paul, in writing his letter to the Philippians, shares some tremendous truths with us and helps us as we think about what it means to be aligned with Christ, to have God's goal as our own goal, and to reach and strive forward to that goal. The Apostle Paul lived in, uh, in Rome and their surrounding areas and would have been acquainted with uh, Olympic running, Olympic-style running, marathons, things like that. And so Paul uses uh, these illustrations of street reaching and straining towards a goal, running a race. And so we're not specifically going to hear the word race this morning necessarily from, from Paul, but I want us to have that in, in mind, the, the idea of a runner who is, who is pursuing and running after a goal. So please uh, take your scripture and, and uh, look at Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 21. God's word says, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. At the start of a new year, we often hear people talking about New Year's resolutions, things that they want to do new in the new year, things they want to do different in the new year. In fact, this morning on the way to church, I was listening to a Christian radio uh, channel, and as usually happens to me, I turn it on right as they go to commercial break, and I don't get to hear the music. But uh, in the conversation that was being had, they were talking about New Year's resolutions and things that people were going to try to do in the new year. Now, New Year's resolutions often involve losing weight or improving health, working on personal finances, spending more time with your loved ones, or just trying to simply enjoy life a little more. The general unpredictability of our lives these past few years as we've gone through the pandemic have had a tremendous impact on how hopeful people are. And as a result, some of the Statistics that are coming out as far as people setting New Year's goals show that people are generally not participating in setting New Year's goals. 
Maybe that's because they're worried about how things are going to work out. Obviously, if you were to have planned a vacation in the past couple of years, you know that those things could have changed significantly uh, from when you first laid those plans out. But I do think it is helpful for us at the start of a new year, whether we're in a pandemic or not, for us to do some honest self-evaluation. I think it's helpful for us to identify areas where we need personal growth. Setting goals can help us achieve something new, work towards something new, and they can definitely be motivating. And if you pay attention for the most part, it motivates us for about two weeks, right? <laughs> One thing we don't often hear is someone setting the same New Year's resolution every single year. That would be pretty strange, wouldn't it? To hear someone saying, I'm gonna do this this year. And if you're their friend and you're like, wait, you said that last year and the year before that, and you know what, the last 10 years really, you've said that you were going to do that one thing. And, and we might think that maybe they just don't have the willpower or the staying power or the dedication, but it really depends on what that goal is, right? And so for us today, as, as we think about reaching forward to what is ahead, what God has for us in this new year, I want us to think about the, fa the fact that for the Christian, for us to set a goal of being more Christ-like, uh, being more like him, following closer in his teachings, should be something that we could set for ourselves every year, every day, every month, being more like Christ. So as we look at the scripture today and we, we're going to walk through uh, the, these verses, I want us to think about that in that maybe our goal this year should, should be simply to know Christ and to be more like him. In verse 12, uh, in the writing here to Philippians, it says, not that I have already reached the goal. Well, when we start like that, you may say, well, what is the goal? Can you, can you help us define that? Well, we can, and actually, if we back up just a tiny bit, Paul does that for us and provides us what that goal is. So if you'll, if you'll look back in Scripture there in Philippians 3, we'll, we'll look through uh, 7 through 11, and we'll understand what Paul's talking about. Verse 7 says, But everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being, being conformed to his death assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So the, the goal that Paul has here, the goal for the Christian, is that we would know Jesus Christ and become more like him. So despite Paul's personal encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, his position as an apostle, and the fact that he was a founder and leader in the church, Paul tells the Philippians, and he tells us here today, that he has not reached his goal. He is on the path. He is continuing to work in that. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, each and every one of us should find that to be relieving. We should find that to be inspiring. Paul, someone that we read his writings in Scripture, we know he had a direct encounter with Jesus Christ. We look up to him as a hero of sorts in our faith. He's telling us he's not arrived. 
He is still learning. He is still knowing more about Christ, knowing more what it is to, to follow Jesus Christ, how to be more obedient. And the impression that we get from the writing is that this is something that he is going to continue to strive for. He has not reached a pinnacle in his walk with Christ and simply taken a seat. He is going to continue to follow after Christ and know him more as long as he lives. He is striving and making great effort, every effort, he says, to take hold of it. Paul has more to learn and understand about the power of Christ's resurrection, the experience and fellowship in his sufferings, and so do we. I also find it, it beautiful that he, he acknowledges that he's not perfect, right? Uh, I, I think that sometimes we think that that's the standard that's set for us, is that we have to be perfect in all things at all times, and we are to strive for that, but we have to recognize that we are going to get closer, but we're not going to achieve that here on earth. Paul acknowledges that. He knows that he will not reach those goals in his lifetime, but that does not prevent him from striving, working, straining toward them each and every day, the side of heaven. I hope you don't find that to be discouraging. Many times when people set out towards a goal, if they, re they think or they realize that the goal is unattainable, they give up. But in the Christian walk, we should be encouraged to know that we're working towards a goal. We're working towards something, even though we won't 100% get there on this side of eternity. We know that the goal is guaranteed because it's guaranteed by Jesus Christ. It's guaranteed by what he is going to do in us in our hearts, in our lives. It's not guaranteed by our effort. And so while we work and we strive and strain each and every day to be more like Christ, we have to understand that it is really only once we are with Christ that we will be made complete and that goal will be achieved. The second part of verse 12 there, uh, I want us to spend a little time on. Paul makes a statement that says that he has been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And this is an amazing thought, that we have been taken hold of as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, that he has taken hold of us and he is holding on to us. Our salvation is not an effort solely upon our part. We can't do anything to save ourselves. We couldn't die on a cross so that the sins of the world or even our own sins would be paid for. God did that for us. And because God has done that, we've received the free gift of salvation through our faith in Jesus Christ. And as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ takes a hold of us. And when he has a hold of us, he holds us firmly and securely in his hands. And as a believer, we should find great comfort in knowing that Christ Jesus is holding on to us. One of the top Christian songs this past year was a song by Lauren Daigle that, that, that has a similar message about God holding on to us. Regardless of the things that we're going through in life, regardless of the struggles that we're facing, we're not saved based upon our ability to hold on to Christ. It is Christ who is holding on to us. And that should be a freeing and an encouraging thought for us as we go through the different things, the different struggles that we each have, knowing that God has us in his hands, that he is there holding on to us, keeping us, protecting us.
guiding us through the challenges that we face. In verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ. So here he's, he's reiterating that he doesn't consider himself to have taken a hold of it. However, there is one thing that he wants us to do. He wants us to forget what is behind and to reach forward to what is ahead. When we forget about what is behind, we put our mistakes, our failures, our shortcomings behind us. We know that we have them. Continuing to dredge up our shortcomings and our failures is only going to be a hindrance for us as it relates to following Christ. We know that we've failed. We don't need to focus on those. We don't need to dwell on those. We need to continue to seek to be like Christ. We do want to hang on to the lessons that we've learned that are positive, things that we have grown from, but we want to put the failures of the past behind us so that we can run unencumbered the race that we have been given so that we can follow after Christ without being held back. Many times when people seek to do something new, they're reminded that it's hard. And they're reminded that they're not as good at whatever it is that they, they had hoped they would be. And because of the difficulty, they begin to talk themselves into not being able to complete it, not being able to do it. I hear that from my children at times. They just say, I can't do it. I can't, it's too hard. I can't do it. Well, is it really that it's too hard or are you convincing yourself that it's too hard? And I think at times our sin and our sinfulness and our past failures are the things that we bring up into our own mind to talk us out of following Christ. We talk ourselves out of stepping out on faith and doing more for Christ. We allow Satan to throw those things up in our path and say, you're no good. You can't do that. Remember, you tried and you failed. But we cannot allow those things to prevent us from moving forward. In 2007, Disney released an animated movie called Meet the Robinsons. If you've seen the, seen the movie, there's a, there's a character who's a, an inventor whose name is Lewis, and he continues to work on these wonderful inventions that sometimes work. And they have a phrase in the movie that is keep moving forward, meaning learn from, the, learn from your mistakes, learn from what didn't work, but keep moving forward. And this quote is actually attributed to uh, a saying that Walt Disney himself used about moving forward in business. But I think Walt probably got that from Paul. Paul shares similar ideas with the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as he's discussing how the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. Christians, repent, flee from your sin, forget what is behind and reach forward to what God has for you. God has wonderful things in plan for each and every single one of us. Seek God's will in your life. Flee from sin and follow after him each and every day. In verse 14, Paul continues, he says, pursuing the goal of the prize promised 
by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. And I think that as we look at verse 14, we're pursuing the goal that's promised. We, we need to understand and we want to make sure that, we, that we, we draw a distinction here that Paul is pursuing after a goal, but Paul is not earning a goal. There is nothing that Paul can do for God that God couldn't already do way better for himself. There's nothing that Paul is bringing to this equation that God needs. So Paul is not talking about earning his salvation. Earning the salvation is not the prize to be won by men. It is a gift that has already been given by God. And as we understand that, that there is no amount of service, there's no amount of giving, there is no amount of, of following of the law that could be done in order to break the power of sin and death. God has already told us that this could only be accomplished through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross it is a work of grace. Our salvation is a, is a free gift that we receive in faith. In Ephesians 2, eight through nine, Paul writes that for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. So as we're pursuing the prize, the upward heavenly call from God, as we're seeking to be like Christ, as we're seeking to know Christ, we're seeking to do that because of our relationship with him. In our relationships with people, in our marriage relationships, we would have a pretty sad relationship with our spouse if we pursued them hard while we were dating and then once we were married, we're like, ah, get done. Not to do anything else. No more dates, no more flowers, no more jewelry. My wife will, my wife will attest that I'm not a big jewelry purchaser, but I, I have done my best, right? But if we stop pursuing our spouse once we're married, what's going to happen to that marriage? Are we really going to know any more about them? Are we going to know how to love them well, how to serve them well? What sort of interactions are we going to have? And in a marriage, I, I think we continue to pursue our spouse. We continue to talk to and get to know and understand our spouse. And in our relationship with God, I think it's much the same. God is holding on to us. He wants us to hold on to him. He wants us to know more about him through reading of his word. He wants us to know more about him through us spending time in prayer. He wants to have interactions with us through us singing songs of praise to him. He wants us to be present. He wants us to follow after his son, Jesus Christ. These are the things that will ultimately prepare us to meet our Lord and Savior in heaven. These are the things that will make us Christ-like following after Christ, reading his word, seeing what he did, doing what he did. As we get to verse 15, we, this, we kind of bring all of these thoughts together and it says, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. One commentator, McGee, likens this maturing process to orange trees. 
And he says at any given time, if you were to come to his property where he has orange trees and you were to look up at the trees and you were to see green oranges as they were developing, you might say, those, matries, those trees are maturing wonderfully. But if those trees continue to have green oranges later into the season, you would say something's wrong with your tree, right? Because the tree is not continuing to mature. And the same idea is true in the life of the Christian, right? When we become a follower of Jesus Christ, when we place our, our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we begin the process of maturing. But at some point along the way, we want to see growth. We want to see fruit. We want to see the person becoming more and more like Christ. And what he's saying here, what Paul's saying in verse 15, it says, all of us who are mature are to think about holding on to Christ and pursuing after Christ and having our goal as the upward heavenly call of Christ. And it says, for those of us who are mature, we ought to think this way. We ought to already be thinking these ways. We ought to know that we should be reading God's word, that we should be praying, that we should be uh, fasting, that we should be doing acts of service, not out of obligation, but out of love for what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so as we're mature, we're doing those things. But it says, and if you think differently, meaning if you're not there yet, God will reveal these things to you over time. But in verse 16, he, he, he's talking about living it where you're at. So as we mature, we follow after Christ as we mature. And as we become more mature, that might look a little differently for us. We might spend a little more time in prayer. We might spend more time studying God's word. We might do more service, but we're going to mature. And as we mature, we continue to reach and strain and strive for Christ-likeness. It's important for us to be together in a church as we're doing this. And when we look in verse 17, Paul moves on to talking about imitating and following along with others. Verse 17 says, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. So within the local church, we have... Lots of people, right, who are in different stages of their walk with Christ. We have some people who have been following after Christ 40, 45 years, some longer. We have some people who have been following after Christ for four or five years. And Paul is saying here, imitate me. And he's not just saying imitate me. He's saying imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow after me as I follow after Christ. In my line of work as an engineer, when I was first brought on uh, to become an engineer and, and begin doing um, telecommunications design, and if I talk too much about it, I know I'll hear snoring, but I had a mentor, and that mentor's role was to show me the ropes, to help me understand how to apply the, the knowledge that I had and how to develop and eventually become more self-sufficient and understand where to go to get the information. And really, that's what the local church does. 
We have preaching times. We have Sunday school times where we have time to discuss God's word. And as we discuss God's word, those who are a little further along, those who are a little more mature in our faith can help us along in our walk with Christ. So that as we're following Christ, we're imitating what we are seeing in our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why it's so important for churches to be multi-generational, in my opinion. is so that young people can look up to a next group and see them following Christ, and then a next group after that, and then a next group after that. And as we follow Christ, we help each other, and we imitate those who are further along in their walk. And we pay careful attention to those who are living according to the examples that we see in Scripture. There's much to be said for the faithful witness and righteous living of those who have walked longer with the Lord than we have. They're a great source of encouragement. They provide us with that model that we emulate. They help us as we minister. In recent years, we've seen church leaders who have done things that are clearly not worthy of imitation. And church, I think that's why it makes it all more important for us to study God's word and continue to grow in our knowledge of it so that we can understand what is right, what is good, what is just, and what it looks like to follow Christ. Because while people may do well emulating Christ and walking the majority of their day, they're gonna have shortcomings and, and we certainly don't wanna pick up those bad habits. Paul moves on in verse 18, he says, for I've told you and now say again with tears. So he's coming back to something that he's talked about with them previously that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, that their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame because they're only focused on earthly things. Paul's tears are because he has shared the truth and people have been resistant to hear it. They have been resistant to change. They're not following after Christ. And in fact, it's even worse than that. These are people who are very likely proclaiming to be followers of Christ. People who inwardly are disobedient, however. I can't imagine a scarier position for anyone to be in than to be called and identified as an enemy of the cross of Christ. Those who would be, whether passively or actively, working against the work of Jesus Christ in our world. Their lives are contradictory to their claims to following Jesus Christ. It's interesting that he says specifically that their God is their stomach. It's talking more about their fleshly desires. Their desire, just like hunger, that they can't overcome, that they act impulsively upon and act sinfully upon. Their glory is in their shame, he says. And I know that I've said this before as, as I've preached and talked to you, but sometimes I feel the glory in their shame is the, the right title for some social media. People frequently will, will post things that they should be shamed, shamed over, they should be ashamed of, but they're posting it as if it's something that should be applauded. Our world has quickly adopted things that we could not imagine seeing 
Watching television, you don't have to watch television late at night anymore to see things that are reprehensible. They're on in prime time, and they want you to be okay with it. They want you to, to be fine with the behaviors that you're seeing on television. Instead of being ashamed, they want you to, to see that they're happy, that they're actually glorifying it. And Paul's talking against this. These people are focused on earthly things. They're not focused on the heavenly things. And as we, we began with, with Paul's talk about being re, reaching and straining for the upward call of heaven, these people are focused only on the things of earth. They're controlled by their fleshly desires, the desires that are the temporal, and they're ignoring the glory that would await them in heaven. Ultimately, they're not focused on the upward call of heaven because they desire sin more than they desire Christ. As Christians, we have to recognize that we must be focused on the upward call of heaven because that's our home. And we eagerly await for a savior from there, as it says in verse 20. The Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject, subject everything to himself. So for the Christian, the reason that we live our lives reaching, straining, striving, following after Jesus Christ is to prepare us for our home in heaven, is to prepare us for the return of Christ. When Christ returns, he will take us to be where he is also so that we can be in heaven with him. And we will answer for the things that we have done. That's the reason why Paul is all the more eagerly seeking after Christ. In our call to worship today, we read from Proverbs chapter 4, 20 through 27. And the main teaching that I, I wanted to, to draw a correlation to from there today was that we not lose sight of the words that have been taught to us. We listen closely to the things that, that God has taught us, that we keep them within our hearts. And as Proverbs said, that they're a life to those who find them and a health to one's body, that they guard our hearts above all else and they're a source of life. We must let our eyes look forward and fix our gaze straight ahead on that upward call to heaven, that upward call to Christ, and carefully consider the path for our feet and all our ways so that we will be established and not turn to the right or to the left. Ultimately, in this new year, as we, as a church and as we individually Consider what God would have us to do as we, as we seek to, to live for him. We must begin with knowing Christ and seeking to be like him. We have to seek to surround ourselves with people who are following after Christ and imitating him. And in doing so, we ought to imitate them. Realizing that as we mature, that there will be people who will be looking up to us as well. And as we continue to strive to live for Christ, 
we look forward to the day when we will be united with Christ when he returns. When he makes all things new. And we want to be those who will be looked upon and hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us, all that you've provided for us. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example from the Apostle Paul and his writing to the Philippians here, Lord, in, in challenging us to continue to look upward to you, to continue to follow after you, to seek after you, Lord. Lord, we pray that as we go into this new year, Lord, that we would set our, our hearts on you, that we would make our goal in line with following you, Lord, that we would, that we would seek you first. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us, watch over us, and protect us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.